Let's just pray. I have some things on my heart. I want to really ask God to, to get them delivered to you tonight. Lord, thank you for these hungry people. I thank you for every person. Lord, I declare again that every person in every church in every city that these beautiful people are from are important to you. And there's no more important place or more important church or more important people to talk to. Lord, you've gathered these beloved. And I thank you for that honor and that privilege. Speak tonight, Lord. Thank you as you have already been speaking. Amen. Let me introduce my wife, too. I just, my wife, she kind of runs the whole thing. She creates the whole thing. I just show up. So, Lisa, you stand up, please. And she's a good lady. 40 years. 40 years of being a team, you know? <laughs> so the unmasked movement, why do we have an unmasked movement? Because we believe that dealing with sexuality is the missing pillar of discipleship. We believe that we need to mother and father the next generation in the spiritual maturity. And we need to give them all the excitement of the things that God's emphasizing in this hour as he calls a generation to himself. But we also want to give them, and you've heard this before, we want to give them the chance to have a marriage that works. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Sexuality unmasked is about sexuality unmasked. It's about young people, leaders dealing with sex, cultural pressure. It's about adoption, abortion, immorality, relationships, engagement, marriage, family, raising children, and grandchildren. It's about our brokenness. It's what we call our failures, which God calls our process. Did you hear me? It's about our brokenness, what we call our failures, and God calls our process and our walking in the light with God. Unmasked is also, I gotta get a drink. You can hear my voice. Unmasked is about calling, our calling to reach the lost. Please listen to this. It's about recovering our testimonies that, we, that have been stolen away by the shame that makes us want to sanitize our ex rated testimonies into PG testimonies. The recovery of our testimony places a key into our hand to unlock the prison houses that those loved by God are sitting in, in that darkness, those with X-rated testimonies waiting for just one person, just one person somewhere to say, I was there, I was lost, I was full of shame. I was broken. I had a broken heart. I failed God and myself and others. And oh, I have also been restored. And can I tell you my story? And can I tell you about the God of restoration? Because God's going to add a sexual component to our evangelism that's going to validate the authenticity, the authenticity of the church because the church is speaking to people where they actually live. That's the greatest indictment about our silence. If a generation says they never talk about the things that I deal with all the time, we're changing that. We're raising up a generation where they have heard it over and over. We're going to keep doing it. 
Look at the, show me the little girls, the little girl pic of my, my girls. Do we have that somewhere in there? <laughs> I love this little picture. I just, I want to show you something that the devil hates, you know, that he, it's my two daughters when they were really young. I shouldn't even tell you. Here it is. Can you believe that? I mean, this is what the devil hates. Is that an accurate description? Do I need to describe it? Do I need to tell you that these two girls are feminine, but they're not sexual? There's not a sexual, there's not any sexuality about them. They're feminine, but they're not sexual. Do you see the difference? Do you understand the difference? Do you understand the warfare that's been loosed against a generation of daughters that wants to turn them into something they aren't when this is who they are? Because girls don't, when their body changes, their heart doesn't change, their emotion doesn't change. That's learned behavior because there's a spirit in the culture that's assaulting them 24-7. All they hear, everywhere they turn, is that the most important part of who you are is your sexuality. And we have the great privilege as the church of creating atmospheres and declaring a message to those beloved that that's a lie and that who they are is so important to God and they have permission to be a little girl. They can grow up to be a mature young woman and still have part, that little girl part of them inside. Because, you know, I happen to believe there's a little girl in the heart of every female on the face of the earth. Whether she's 5, 15, 35, 55, or 85, there's a little girl in the heart of every daughter on the face of the earth. Did you hear that, men? I'm talking to you, men. I'm not blaming you. I want everything you hear tonight to be an invitation and not a condemnation or an accusation. Do you have enough heart to be a man with me tonight? Because I believe God wants to put something in your spirit tonight that's gonna change your life. It's gonna change your manhood. It's gonna change how you walk. Let me show you the picture of the, uh, the little bathroom scene. This kind of describes our culture my young friend, Sean, saw this. Uh, we won't say where. It was just, uh, but he saw it. And he said, I got to get a picture of this. I got I to I I capture this. Because it kind of describes how we've dealt with the issue. How are we doing? Are we going to, it's that, you know, that, that picture of the bathroom? It's the, you know which one it is. It's the bathroom picture. This one. Can you believe this picture? I mean, this is not some picture we got off the internet saying, we need a really good picture that kind of describes the culture. We found this. We saw this in an in a, in a elderly gentleman's bathroom. And to me, it kind of it, it epitomized sometimes what we're wrestling with in the church because we think we can have a dualism in the church. We think we can have, have, have this underlying strong connection to our hiddenness and deal with it with little doses. The daily bread is something that my generation grew up with. A lot of young people don't even know what it is. It's a little thing where you read one verse a day for 30 days, and every month you get this little book, and you read one verse a day, and it gives you kind of a, a Christian thought, and it's really good. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of devotion. But there's some intense things going on in our culture today. Has anybody noticed there's some intensity going on? that some people whose lives are hanging in the balance going on, and there is a spirit 
that playboy spirit, that sexual spirit is so strong, it's destroying an entire generation. And I want to propose to you that one verse a day isn't going to pack it. And the fact that there's a duplicity, the fact that that exists alongside, now again, I'm, I'm not condemning, I think we're in process. I just want you to understand, this is, it's so symbolic to me, but it, you know, it's a, it's a mandate for us to, to uncover sexuality tonight. You know, this ideal of dualism is so, you know, and God always called his church to monotheism. If you understand the Old Testament history, there was, there was the worship of Yahweh, and when, and when Israel was running after the Baals and the Asherahs, they were still going to temple every week. Do you understand that? They were going to temple every week. So it was the same, they were doing both things at the same time. Well, there's, there's people today, lovely people in the churches, and they're struggling with this issue. They're, they're crying out to God, but they're also participating in this other, other world. And God wants to call us back to a beautiful monotheism, not a dualism, but a monotheism where we say, you alone are God. And we throw off our idols of sexuality, hidden sexuality, step into the light, get into the process of victory, and watch God do miracles in our life. I'm going to tell you something. You're, you may be here tonight. You may think, I'm just saying, you don't have to stay the same way you are. God's inviting you tonight. There's, there's change and there's power. One step into the light, one step bringing the, from the, take the things of the darkness into the light is the first step into a permanent life of victory. Victory after victory after victory. You do not have to stay where you are. I'm promising you, I'm telling you, you've heard it tonight. You do not have to stay where you are, whatever that is. Isaiah 14, 12. I've been reading it a lot. Some of you have heard it before. You know, you need to hear things seven times before you get it. So if you heard this, is this your second time? You think, man, I got two. I only need five more times. You excited? Come on, you're, you're way ahead of the crowd now. Isaiah 14, 12 talks about this Babylonian ruler, but many people, many scholars think it refers to Satan who was cast down out of heaven. The worship leader, Lucifer, thrown down with the angels, a third of the angels. And listen to how it describes him. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. This is his description. And to me, it's, it gives us insight on what his plan and purpose was, that he has chosen to weaken the nations. I think, well, how do you weaken a nation? Darkness, how would you choose to weaken a nation? Darkness chooses to weaken a nation because he understands the theology and he understands what God was beginning to do. God's theology for the nations of the earth is his church, his victory. God's people in those nations is talking about you. It's talking about us. God's people in his nation, in the nations of the earth. Every nation is going to be as great as God's people in that nation. That's why we were called to go into all the nations of the earth and what? Make disciples. 
But, but the nation is only going to be as strong as the church in that nation. The church in that nation will only be as strong as the marriages. The marriages will only be as strong or as the families, and the families will only be as strong as the marriages, and the marriages will only be as strong as that young man and that young woman who God puts together to be a team. And those single, beautiful single people who are joined to those families as they wait on God and serve God. We don't want to leave them out. Because God says, I set the solitary in families, and I'm a father to the fatherless. But those family units is what makes those nations strong. Now, I love this. You know, we talk about this, this scripture of, of we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and spiritual forces of weakness and what? That phrase, world forces of this darkness. Sexuality, the spirit of sexuality is not just some little thing that North America is dealing with. I've been all over the earth. And everywhere I go, it's kind of humorous. They go, they don't even say the word sex. We don't talk about that topic here. Say sex. Come on. Just look at me and say sex. It's, there's shame because we're humans. And God has a, a, our conscience and shame when we violate the sexual boundary. And then what comes? Conviction comes. It's the beauty. Shame is beautiful because it's part of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But the devil takes it and he turns it to condemnation. Do you understand? That beautiful presence of shame in our lives is the warning light to say, don't keep going that way. I'm warning you. I don't hate you. I'm warning you. And the enemy takes that conviction and he twists it and he turns it to condemnation and then he begins to condemn you and saying, you're, you're lost, you're terrible, God hates you, you're never gonna amount to anything. On and on and on. World forces of this darkness. I love Second Second Corinthians ten fourteen. It's such a powerful scripture. Start with verse three. Though we walk in the flesh, are we humans? Are we in the flesh? Pinch yourself. You got some flesh there. Okay, good. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Okay, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Man, the word is so powerful. I love it. We are destroying speculations the destruction of fortresses. See, they're using military terminology to talk about how people think. In the Old Testament, they tore down the altars, literally. But we have the new, we have the new covenant with a new paradigm. We're not, the fortresses are how people think. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're mighty. We're not dealing on a fleshly level. We're dealing on a supernatural level, level where people have ideas about who they are, about sexuality, about what a man is, about what a woman is, about what relationships are, about what true love is. It's love. And the, the enemy wants to assault those. He wants to... And that's where the word of God, that's where the breaking the sound barrier around sexuality comes. We start speaking truth. 
We see the beauty of the John 1, 5, where it says the light shine in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome the light. We bring something and we speak light into things, and it changes things. I love the promise of restoration in Isaiah 61. I've, I mean, we need to memorize this. We need to, this is a description of who we are. It's got it's got everybody can find themselves in this continuum. And it ends with our assignment. So it's filled with hope. But it, it makes room for everyone. See if you can find yourself here. And the Lord quoted this scripture to start his ministry. I mean, the Lord used this to say, this is what I'm about. This is what I do. And this is what my church is going to do as it follows me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Anybody afflicted here? Anybody been afflicted here? That's where we start out. How many just wake up some morning and say, I think I'm going to follow God. Everything is going great in my life. Anybody? Anybody. I mean, maybe there's one person, just everything was going great in their life. There's no God in their life. And they just woke up and said, I'm going to follow God. Well, if you did do that, it was some grandma praying for you for 40 years. Because nobody does that. Good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Come on, anybody? Start popping our arms up. Come on. Any broken hearts? And Some people right tonight have a broken heart. Come on. You're in the right place because God's whole heart is to bind up the brokenhearted. That's what he lives for. That's what he came for. And young people get their hearts broken in relationships. I mean, you think they ripped the love stories in the romance novels, ripped off this phrase right out of the scripture, the broken heart. That's where it came from, the country western. Where do you think they got the phrase? Right out of Isaiah 61. Come on, to bind up the broken hearted. It's describing the human condition because relationships don't work when you put a person in the first place of your life instead of God. I don't care who the person is. I don't care how wonderful they are. I don't care if they're a Christian. We have idolatry in relationships and we put a person in the primary place when God says they deserve to be in the secondary place. And you elevate somebody into a primary place that's supposed to be in a secondary place, it will not work, period. It won't work. It won't work. You're in a relationship. It won't work. Because God wants two whole people. And you get whole by having a vertical. It's the vertical and the horizontal. And it makes the cross. We have that vertical relationship with God. You know, and I think this is the birthplace of some of the confusion. We, we've ushered in the sexual spirit and, and we're swimming in the sexual spirit and everything is about relationships and sex and there's pressure on young people. Man, there's pressure. And so the heterosexual relationships don't work. And things get messed up. And there's shame and guilt and so they try something else. They're replacing one 
form of brokenness for another. It isn't like, well, it's a hetero thing didn't work, so I'm going to go, I'm going to do the gay thing, that will work then. See, they're trying to replace something. They're replacing the same kind of thing with the same kind of thing. You're just replacing another broken, a broken aspect of relationships. Heterosexual, broken relationships. Now we're going to do the gay, broken relationships. Now we're going to do the trans, broken relationship. We're going to... It's still broken. It's broken with hetero. It's broken with trans. It's broken with gay. It's all broken because God made relationships for God to be first in our life. That's the vertical. Come on. That's the vertical. He doesn't say it's broken. He's saying it's broken because he's designed us. He made us. He created us. Proclaim liberty to the captives. There's prison doors. Some people feel like, I'm stuck. I'm in prison. God's proclaiming liberty to the captives. You heard about three captives tonight. Liberty to the captives. Freedom to prisoners. Proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. It's a good year when God does a miracle in your life. It's a good year when he brings freedom. It's a good year when he delivers you. It's a good year when those lies get out of your life. It's a good year. It's a good day. It makes a good year. Got some more years after that. In the day of vengeance of our God. You know the greatest lie of the devil to a young generation that sinned in sexuality is God hates you. And we think the day of vengeance of our God, that's, he, he's going to hate me or he hates me because I did those things. No, he doesn't hate you. You did those things, right. He doesn't hate you. The day of vengeance of our God is God taking vengeance on the enemies that have been targeting you to destroy you, to lie to you, to say you're written off, you're hopeless, go ahead and keep living this way, you can't ever get back. I think of the beautiful young ladies I've seen in discipleship schools. They went off to college. They had a high school boyfriend. They gave themselves away. They went off to college. They had a couple, two, three boyfriends. They gave themselves away sexually. They weren't trafficked. And I care about the traffickers. I'm just talking about the normal girl who has a few relationships with guys and gives themselves away or gets involved sexually. And they have guilt and shame. And then they're trying to find their way back. And the enemy says, God hates you. So they think, I'm going to just be a little slave girl in the church. I'm just going to do any, I'm just going to work so hard. God, can you just give me one chance? I'm going to really be, I'm going to be the best church girl that you have ever seen. I am going to be the best church girl you have ever seen. I'm going to go to every meeting. I'm going to praise, I'm going to lift my hands every service. I'm going to serve. I'm going to memorize scripture. I am, I am going to do whatever you, I'm going to be the best church girl you ever saw, God. Please don't hate me. Because there's something in a daughter's heart. What kind of church is God coming back for? A church, what? A bride without what? Come on, we've all read it. We said it. We don't even get it. We've heard it so much, we don't even get it. We don't even make the connection. It's going to be a, a, a bride without spot or wrinkle. A pure bride. A bride who's pure. She feels pure. You see it on her face. 
And you see the opposite on her face. Come on. There's something in the heart of a daughter that God's put in the heart of every daughter on the face of the earth. The deepest, there's something in her where I'm pure. I got news for you. Purity is more than the history of your body. Purity is what your heart wants. Purity is created by God. None of us are pure. None of us are pure. None of us haven't sinned or failed in sexuality. Only Jesus. So our purity comes from the holy God, from Jesus' sacrifice. My daughters are pure. My wife is pure. My single daughters are pure. Purity is not about the absence of sexuality. It's about the blessed presence and gift of sexuality in the right context. That's purity. That's purity without regret. That's purity receiving the gift of sexuality without the stain, without the associated negativities that come when you cross the boundaries and you get shame. That's blessing. To comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving garland instead of ashes or beauty for ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle or garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, talking about you. Girls can be beautiful. I don't know how you can be a tree and be beautiful, but if God said you're going to be an oak of righteousness, there's some beautiful trees in here. That's all I got to say. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient. Listen to our assignment, folks. This is our assignment because God doesn't, there's no wilted flower section in the kingdom of God. There isn't some caste system in the church. Well, here are the, here are the, here are the ones who are pure and here are the ones who aren't pure. The ones who aren't pure, please move to the back section of the church, please. There isn't the wilted flower section in the kingdom of God. There isn't some back row, back row for the girls that failed, the guys that failed, all the guys that looked at porn, please, you know, fill in the back rows. We only want the pure guys in the front row. There's no caste system in the kingdom of God. There's restoration and new life, and he makes all things new. All things new. He can even break the power of the imprints on your mind that have come to you by repeated viewing of things or reputed, repeated experiences. God's beautiful grace can come and visit us and erase things in our spirit and our minds. He can heal us and restore us. It's what he loves to do. He's a God of restoration. He wants to restore you. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolation of many generations. Man, that's what I dream about. I dream about every young person here 
trusting God, growing older, finding their calling and destiny, some finding a teammate together with those singles and teammates that are running into the kingdom of God. Families are growing. The glory of God is revealed through his church, and people are running to the church and knocking on the doors of the church saying, why are your young people so bright? Why are your men like honor? Why are your daughters have faces of brightness? Why are your children pure? Why is there so much mercy and grace in your life and forgiveness? That's our responsibility and our privilege. It's a privilege and a responsibility. It's our assignment to restore. I've been thinking about the Me Too movement. That's my first page out of seven pages. <laughs> this is absolutely hopeless. This, <laughs> I mean... I'm thinking, are you serious? Let me just talk about the Me Too movement for a minute. Me Too movement, anybody familiar with the Me Too movement? There's been a lot of talk about the Me Too movement. I, I want to be really candid with you. I, uh, I, I saw it begin to happen. I was, I was really sad about it because I wanted the church to be the one to herald the fact that women were being destroyed by the sexual culture. Men were being destroyed too, but, but there was special focus. There's been a special targeting on women. Started in the garden with Adam and Eve, you know, that targeting. Bruising the heel, crush the head, you know, in the garden. Started there. And, man, I wanted the church. I said, oh, Lord, I want the church to be the one to herald. The church surely would be the one to be the first one to herald the fact. Over and over, we'd be so bold in proclaiming that, that young women are being destroyed by this, the lies of the sexual culture. That they feel they have to give themselves to a man in order for him to stay interested in her. That they feel like the most important part of who they are is their sexuality. That, that there's no other... I mean, what a lie. I mean, for an 11 or a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old girl to grow up every day of her life and hear through media, through every place, the most important part of who you are is your sexuality, I think, man, surely your people, Lord, would be the ones to herald the lie, to sound the warning, to make the declaration. And along came the Me Too movement, and God said, I'm going to pick Hollywood to do this. I thought, Lord, don't pick Hollywood. Pick the church. The church is your spokesperson. The church is the one that, and he picked Hollywood because we weren't ready yet. We hadn't even talked to our own people. We hadn't even warned our own daughters. We hadn't broke the silence so much that we had a generation of daughters. Okay, Lord. We're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna change that. We're gonna get ready. So he, he picked Hollywood to confront Hollywood. Hollywood confronted Hollywood. Guess what? Hollywood listened to Hollywood. Do you think Hollywood would have listened to the church? Probably not. So God in his wisdom, he's working something. He's answering our prayers. I don't get it. He's answering our prayers. He's he's letting Hollywood confront Hollywood. Because Hollywood listened, and man, heads are rolling. 
and it's going too far, all of a sudden men are the problem. Men are not the problem. Men are part of the problem. They get to be part of the answer. Just stay with me now, guys. There's an angst in our culture about the unfulfilled promises of the sexual revolution. Because the sexual revolution has promised everything under the sun to anyone who would bow down and worship at the altar of sexuality. Any, anyone. And people have bowed down and worshiped at the altar of sexuality. They've given themselves, their bodies, their minds, their time. And guess what? The promises that, that the culture made have not come true. And people are frustrated. It's like they're mad. They want to take it out on somebody. And that angst in the culture, unfortunately, is starting to be taken out on the men. And what are we hearing? What's the phrase we're hearing? Toxic masculinity. Even the American Psychological Association is defining some parts of traditional masculinity as dangerous and negative. Like aggression, risk-taking. Um, how are we going to fight the devils without aggression and risk-taking? I thought the calling in the kingdom of God was including some of that kind of stuff. Now, I'm saying there's negative. Let me, let me read this stuff. I got to read this to you. I got to find it. I got this from Prager University. I love Prager University, but it just talks about toxic masculinity. I'll just read it. It says, rape, murder, war. It's the stuff men do. Aggression, violence, ambition, unchecked by conscience. Well, so far, that sounds like, yeah, sounds like toxic masculinity. Culture's answer to these negative traits of manhood make, make men less masculine. But that's dangerous because we will get more toxic masculinity from trying to make men more like women. Bad men don't start becoming good when they become less masculine. Bad men become good when they stop being bad. Man, this is rocket science. We got rocket science going on here. Guys, the culture has said to you, you're not necessary. The only thing you're necessary for is a sexual experience for somebody. We don't want your aggression. We don't want any, we don't want those other traits at all. Matter of fact, we're going to criticize them. So the only value you have is sexual. And we saw this happen in the Russian system under tyranny. Any man that defended his family or led in any kind of way, where did he end up? He ended up in the gulags of Siberia. That's why there's so much alcoholism in the, in the former Soviet Republic. Because there's pain in men because they couldn't express what God had put in them. It was repressed and criticized and punished. It's happening again today. That's why I'm saying, men, listen to me. You're needed. And those parts of men that I just talked about, the aggression... The ambition, they're needed. They can be channeled appropriately. Did you hear me, men? You're needed. Appropriate violence against the appropriate targets. You're needed. Men, you're needed. channeled correctly, 
Same in the black culture. I spent seven years in the black culture. My dream was to see young black men and women, Hispanics, raised up to be, represent the glory of God. Seven years of my life. But I see the same thing in the, in the institution of slavery. Imagine a black man with his family in a little slave hut on a plantation. And the drunken plantation owner's son knocks on the door at midnight. And he says, I want Rachel tonight. She's 13. And that black man looks at this man and he says, if I fight you, he'll kill me. If I resist you, he'll whip me within an inch of my life and probably sell me to another place and I'll never see her again. Can you imagine the kind of hell of a father experiencing that and something dies in him as he watches his Rachel and she looks at him and says, Daddy, aren't you going to do something? And he dies. This is part of what the black community is carrying today in America. And I've been in prison fighting for the unborn. And I've been with crips in jail cells. And they show me their bracelets with five kids from five moms. Because they're proud to be dads. But they haven't had a chance to be honored as men in our culture. God has something to say about it. And we're going to see a generation of beautiful black and Hispanic men raised up for the glory of God. And that's part of my dream. And I'm just sharing my dream with you tonight. And God fears the black and Hispanic voice because it's going to cut through the, the cries of false discrimination like a hot knife goes through butter because <laughs> they have been discriminated against and they have suffered because of immutable things, characteristics in their skin, in their culture. They didn't pick it, choose it. And God fears that voice of that redeemed black and redeemed Hispanic young man and young woman. Oh, how he fears that. That's why there's been such a warfare against them. And we need the black voice and the Hispanic voice for the whole church of America. Not for the black church, for the black, black voice, for the black church, and the Hispanic voice for the Hispanic church, and you're doing a good job. Now we need to receive that redemptive suffering and that anointing and that revelation. We need that for the white church so the whole church, Hispanic, Asian, white, black, you name it, the whole church can be whole for the glory of God. But it's about that manhood and that toxic masculinity. We'll get more, where was I? Okay, aggression, violence, ambition can only be harnessed it's innate in man. When it's harnessed, they become tools for good. The same masculine traits that bring destruction also defeat tyrannies. Traits that foster greed, build economies, 
ambition, traits that lead men to take foolish risks, lead men to take heroic risks. The answer to toxic masculinity is not less masculinity, it's better masculinity. It looks like men opening doors, men working long hours, men going to war to fight evil, and men walking responsibility, responsibly in their sexuality. And I know it's in you to do that, or you wouldn't be sitting here tonight, men, to walk responsibly in your sexuality. That's why you're here. I don't care how much failure you've had. I don't care what your story, I don't care what you looked at yesterday. You're here. Just the fact you're here says there's something in you that makes you want to walk responsibly in your sexuality. I need to skip a whole bunch of stuff, but I need to make my main point. Can I do that? I mean, it's snowing out. It's, it's early. I mean, you'd be getting out of a movie at 1030, right? <laughs> but let me, can I make my, can I try to make my one point? I'm not going to abuse you, I promise. I, my main point is that that part of your manhood, there's a part of your manhood the spirit of protection that God's put in every man. And the answer to men and their quest for purity, their fight for porn, is to link, to link that spirit of protection that God's put in every man. We've said it, you've heard it in other conferences. I mean, it's the original design declaration. Men, you were called by God to do what's right instead of what's easy. You're called to look into a mirror and see someone you respect. Your fuel is honor. You're called to be a protector and not a predator. There's that thing in you that God's put in every man. It's in every one of us, guys. It, we can't, it's part of who we are, that spirit of protector. And God wants to marry that to the damage and the destruction happening in women in our culture. Let me just say this. The reason we need to protect women is not because they're incapable, not because they're unintelligent, not because they're incapable, not because they don't have gifts that God wants to use to release the healing into the earth. The reason we need to protect women is because they have a peculiar vulnerability to the sexual spirit that has been loosed in the nations of the earth. Did you hear what I just said? Just because they have female body parts has nothing to do with their abilities. They have been targeted by darkness. And you've read the stats about molestation. You read the stats about sexual assault. You read the stats about, about the killing of the unborn daughters in, the, in, in Asia. And the one-child policy in China, if they have a daughter, they, they abandon her because sons are more important. You've, you, you've read about cultures that Diminish the value of women. I mean, this has been from the garden. And it's not stopped. And we've got to get this. That's part of the Me Too movement thing. See, in the Me, in the Me, Too, Me Too movement, the movement, when, when it was uncovered what happened, there was a concession made by the culture that's never been made before. And the concession is this that women are hurt in sexual relationships without appropriate boundaries. 
Now, you have to define some things. You have to define what sexual relationship is. You have to define what hurt is and what appropriate boundaries are. But you have to define that. But that's, that's the statement, and that's true. That's a concession. The culture has never conceded anything. I was raised in the sexual revolution. I got saved in 1971. My high school years were 68, 69, 70. Peace, love, tie-dye. That's where I grew up. The sexual revolution was loosed. Never made a concession, ever. Women and men are the same. Women can give themselves sexually without commitment. It doesn't affect them at all. Oh, if it affects you, girl, something's wrong with you. Nobody else is talking about it. What's wrong with you, girl? You're unstable. You're weak. You're unsophisticated. Something's wrong with you, girl. Everyone else is cool with it. Marie Claire says you got to be cool with it. Cosmo says you got to be cool with it. New Woman says you got to be cool with it. I mean, I don't care. You pick any feminine magazine up, you got to be cool with it, girl. So we got 10% of our women in America on antidepressant medication. You know why? Because they're trying to be cool with it. And they're on antidepressant, they're just drinking or smoking pot. And they're still young and single, they're drinking and smoking pot before they even step out the door of their house because it's Friday night again and I can't do that stuff again without numbing myself. That's what's going on. And that concession is an invitation to the church to acknowledge the pain in a generation of women, to give permission for them to talk about their pain. And as they do for men to begin to get a burden. If we will hear about the pain in a generation of women over and over again, we will eventually look past what is offered to us, the forbidden you'd like some, wouldn't you? And we'll see a little girl waiting for her daddy, just like Jelaine was talking about, to say something to her, anything. Say anything, dad. That's what happened. Waiting. We'll see that. We'll see that. It'll begin to be in our spirit. It'll begin to disturb us in an appropriate way. It'll begin to break our hearts. See, we're trying to fight porn, men. We're trying to fight porn, flesh against the flesh, like Moses tried to deliver Israel out of Egypt. The white knuckle club. I'm going to kill the Egyptian to deliver Israel out of Egypt. It's never going to work. Flesh against the flesh never works. It never works. We need a revelation of God's grace. 